0: Matthew 27. Once again, we might think it a bit odd that we have this kind of a message at this time of the year, but it uh, doesn't seem like your normal Christmas time miss- message. Uh, Matthew 27. Uh, but if you would have noticed in our last song that we su- sung, it talked about the mocking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about This morning, mocking Jesus, mocking Jesus. Matthew 27, and we're going to begin reading our text here this morning in verse 27. Matthew 27, 27, you follow along in your copy of God's word as I read, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. As they came out, they found a man, Cyrene, Simon, by name, when him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come into a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they had crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that he might be fulf- it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and sat up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and and another on the left, and that they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. No era escapes mockery. We've grown up hearing it in the political campaigns, on the playground with bullying, in the street with boasting, Exalting oneself by degenerating another, unfortunately, passes muster as part of the social landscape of our own day. Athletes call it trash talk, and we laugh at hearing the taunts uh, toward opposing players. Politicians call it campaigning, and we cheer when our candidate scores a verbal blow at his opponent. The tragic days of civil disruption and anarchy during the 60s and the 70s witnessed mockery that often turned violent. Who can forget the bullhorn taunts by white supremacists toward African Americans seeking equal rights and half-drugged and beraggled college students screaming profanities at anyone representing authority? Well, perhaps you don't remember that day, but I do. It's taking place on the college campus where I was attending, and no, I was not a protester. I was just a married observer. But now the news is filled with a protest concerning our police officers egged on by community agitators and government officials, including our president. Even the celebration of Christ's birth is not considered politically correct as communities all over the nation are banning the display of anything to do with true Christmas story in public places. Mockery comes quite naturally in the human mind. It begins with arrogance in one's worldview or philosophy to point that anyone in disagreement deserves verbal scorn if not more, abuse. And so the child on the playground whose worldview considers that he is the center of the universe finds no difficulty in taunting and mocking other children. Likewise with the athlete who thinks he's the greatest that has ever played the game, will talk trash with his opponent. But the area that seems to meet with the most mockery is religion. Religion. And not just any religion. The Christian faith, particularly Bible believers, are regularly mocked in their in our society. Often is the scornful looks and the attitudes shown toward anyone that really believes. Genesis one one: In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And certainly, when the central issues of Christian gospel are brought up, mockery ensues. Declare the depravity of the human race and our condemnation before an eternal judge, and you just watch the scorn. Or insist upon the two natures of Christ in one person, Jesus, as eternal God and man, and be ready for a barrage of insults. But much more so, declare the necessity of the death of Christ at the cross as our substitute before God's justice for salvation of those who believe, and watch the red faces swell with mocking. And we stand upon the simple truth that Christ alone is the way to God. There is no eternal life, but only eternal suffering apart from Christ. Most of the world finds that insufferable and deserves the most vehement mockery. Our Lord endured the mockery of men. Nations have developed considerably since the first century, you know, but the scorn of men toward Christ and the gospel has not changed. The great irony is that one mocked is the only hope for sinful man. Jesus Christ humbly bore the mockery and reproach of men to bring mockers into rela- and a relationship with God. Jesus predicted such mocking would end with his uh, crucifixion at the hands of godless men. Even mockers have hope in Christ. How can that be the case? Well, let's look at it this morning. First of all, notice the mocking. Irony marks the details that Matthew unfolds for us. The Son of God has already endured betrayal the accusations of the religious leaders, the pseudo-trial before Pilate, and then came the cross. He that was stripped clothed us in his righteousness. He who received the mock crown of thorns and the reed for a scepter indeed rules over the universe as sovereign Lord. And though beaten by sinful men, he embraces sinners in his own bosom of divine love and we must consider these things as we look at the pattern of mocking that still goes on today lest we become embittered by it or shocked when it happens as Christ was mocked so also will be all that bear the name of Christ before the mocking world notice here that mocking of Christ was The mocking of his threefold office. Students of Scripture recognize the threefold office of Christ. He's the prophet, he's the priest, and he's a king. Now, in the Old Testament economy, we occasionally find a prophet who also served as a priest, such as Samuel. Normally, there was a distinction in those offices. Each had his part in the life of Israel. The prophet spoke on behalf of God on behalf of the living God, and declared what God had commanded and explained his judgments. The priest stood between the people and God, interceding for them in prayer, and presenting the sacrifices and the offerings to God on behalf of the people. And then there was a king who ruled the people as God's representative of governmental authority among them. Each would serve at the pleasure of the Lord until the time that the Messiah would come and embody each office, In one person. Notice first of all the mockery of Christ as prophet here in our text. In verse 40. As the prophetic word of Christ concerning his own death and resurrection was twisted. And turned into a byword. Jesus never said that he would destroy the temple. But rather he prophesied that when he... The true temple was torn down in death. In three days, he would be raised again. Because his opponents had no understanding of the nature of the temple and the old economy and its fulfillment in the Messiah, they could twist and they could distort his word in order to scorn him. Secondly, notice the mockery of Christ as priest. Verse 42. Verse 42, as the saving work of Christ is mocked here due to his not saving himself from the cross, but Jesus did not come to save himself from suffering and mocking and death. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And then we see the mockery of Christ as king. We see thus in verses 27 through 31, and then verse 42, as the soldiers gave Christ imitation tokens of kingship, while offering hail Caesar as a taunt, hail to the king. The intention was to make fun of Jesus' claim that he was the king of a kingdom. So there's the mocking of Christ's threefold office. Secondly, we see the mocking of Christ's honor and dignity. And again, very ironically, he that is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and the glory and blessing meets with the basest indignity of the hands of man. We see it in a number of ways here. Notice, first of all, his scourging. After being scourged, his clothing must have been put back on with the coagulating blood sticking to it. And then Christ was stripped, and later he was stripped again, and so that as he was crucified naked before gawking eyes of the mob. We see the scarlet robe. This would have been one of the robes of a Roman officer, likely an old one that fit the moment to use as a mocking gesture of Christ as a king. They failed to realize that he was indeed the king. Then there's the crown of thorns. This resembled the circlet worn by the Roman emperor Tiberius and made famous by the coins of that day. It supposedly gave something of a divine radiance of the emperor, but this one was intended not only to mock, but also to cause pain. Then there's the reed. This served as a mock scepter placed in the right hand of authority in verse 29. Then there's the kneeling soldiers the soldiers kneeled and offered their praise to the king with Christ's identity as the king of the Jews done in mocking fashion. To them it was purely cruel fun to call a man king who was preparing for the cross especially since Roman citizens were not crucified except upon special order of the emperor due to its, its digni- indignity and horror. And we have the mocking, the verbal mocking and the spitting. They spat upon Christ, and this accentuated the physical demonstrations that ran from making fun to degrading acts. Can you think this morning of anything more degrading then someone's spitting upon you. If someone did that, you would say, why would you do that? It's an awful thing. It doesn't hurt so much physically as it hurts us spiritually and mentally. Then there's the wine mixed with gall. This was either an insult to Christ, since the rancid taste of the gall would have made it unpalatable, even for a man that would have been virtually dehydrated at this time due to the scourging, or as it was something to dull his senses, which Christ refused, and he would feel the full effects of his suffering, divine judgment for us. Then there was a gambling for his clothing. As Christ felt the agony of the crucifixion, the soldiers were carelessly gambling for his clothing. The charge, the charge against him, intended to make fun of the Jews as well as of Jesus, and yet the charge was true, though incomplete, as he is king of kings. Of course, in Pilate's thought, as well as those watching, this was the end of whatever kingdom Jesus thought he ruled yet his kingdom alone is one that has no end. And there's the spotless Son of God. He was lumped in with robbers and insurrectionists. The Son of God, the Holy Son of God, mixed in right in with the wicked thieves and the robbers. And finally the abuse. The abuse hurled at him by the wagging of heads, of these arrogant men intended to ridicule the Lord before the crowd. What mocking of the Son of God. And then we come to the mocking of Christ's word. One area that continues to meet with ridicule today is the word of God. You know, it's okay to have a Bible on your desk or on your shelf but to actually read it, to memorize it, to believe it, to apply it to all of life, well, that seems absurd. It seems unimaginable for most of the world. And so many will mock a belief in fidelity and faithfulness to the inerrancy of the Word of God. They mock our quoting Scripture to affirm our beliefs and the direction of our lives. They mock our dependence upon the living God in the midst of catastrophes as we've witnessed week after week, month after month. In the case of our Lord, we find some walking by and observing the crucifixion, doing so in order to taunt and to mock. And they have no concern with the accuracy and the way which they represent what Christ had spoken. Though Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in discussion with his disciples, as as we studied there in Matthew 24 and 25, it seems that the quotation that the opponents twisted had to do with Christ alluding to himself as the true temple. He was not going to destroy, uh, destroy that temple, but rather they would be involved in killing Christ. It's the death and resurrection that they mocked, having no understanding of why Christ had to die or the reality that God would indeed raise his son from the dead to confirm the effectiveness of his death on the cross. So much of the mocking that goes on today centers on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the solitary plan of God for atoning for man's sins, satisfying divine justice due to us, and redeeming, redeeming us from the bondage to Satan and death and sin. But apart from the go- the cross, we have no gospel. Remove the resurrection and the death of Christ, and our faith is meaningless. We have no hesitation in declaring that our view of Christianity focuses on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in fulfillment of what the Father sent His Son to accomplish. We can talk about Jesus' teaching on loving one's neighbor, and no one will object. We can speak of His teaching about what we call the golden rule, and again, no one will object. But speak of the necessity of Christ's death alone as the means of satisfying all the righteous demands of God for eternal justice toward those that believe and realize that many will laugh and guffaw or mock or belittle. The second area that meets with mocking is the insistence that Jesus Christ, though a man, that he is the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God, come down from that cross, the opponents would cry. They wanted Jesus to fit into their terms. Little did they understand that he had come had he come down from that cross, when they called for it, there would be no salvation for anyone. Remaining upon that cross with all the suffering physically and the intense anguish that he experienced spiritually as he met the wrath of God is the only way that our sins can be forgiven. The eternal debt paid and a relationship with God opened. For Christ to accomplish this, had, he had to have two natures. The divine nature that cannot die nor can it represent the human race. And so he that was, has always been God became what he was not in the act of incarnation. There he became one of us. He became one of us. That's the Christmas story right there that he might fulfill every detail of divine righteousness on our behalf so that we might be clothed with his righteousness and so that he might represent us before God as he poured out eternal justice that is due to us for our sins. Opponents gathered around the cross and they mocked the God-man, the Jesus Christ, just as a modern opponent will do the same when believers declare the person of Christ. And then fourthly, there's the mocking of Christ's nature as God. Many people will acknowledge the human nature of Jesus Christ, but to call Him God affects everything that we think or believe about Him. And so here the taunts and the mocking of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes sought to deny the deity of Christ and His messianic office. He alone that has power to save refused to save himself from the cruel treatment of wicked men. And these religious leaders persisted in thinking that the way to salvation came through his own, their own adherence to the law and the ceremonies and good works. They had not grasped the divine justice must be satisfied or else none could be forgiven. They had put their confidence in the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sins. Would they have believed had Jesus come down from that cross? They did not believe when they witnessed Jesus healing the crippled, or the blind, or the deaf, or when he cast out demons, or even when he raised the dead. They would not believe in Christ because they preferred not to believe in him, but to believe in themselves. And so mocking came quite naturally as they considered their way to God superior to the provision of God through His Son. And mockers still exist today and will exist until the day Christ returns in mighty power. Mockers are often religious, even as we see here in our text. They often are very sure of themselves and confident in their own worldview and philosophy of life. And all they While they reject the revelation of God and His Son, they scorn the gospel that alone offers life. And so we've seen the mocking. Notice, secondly, the mockers. First century mockers came in a variety, just as we find them in our day. First of all, there's the mindless. Soldiers characterize the mindless mockers that they that still exist in great numbers today. We note their cold-heartedness toward the Son of God, dying there on the cross as they callously and coldly gamble for His garments while He agonized before them. Numbed by their own indulgence in the world, they could not grasp what was happening before them or the part they played in the suffering of our Redeemer. Robotic, mindless actions typified them, doing their job as soldiers, they just followed the orders and the traditions. I've run across the mindless on college camp on the college campus. I've come across the mindless in homes and in, in airplanes in public gatherings. They are the ones who give no thought to eternal issues to the seriousness of their sin, to the necessity of God's justice being satisfied, to the certainty of heaven and hell, and to the authority of God's word. They just don't think about it. Often numbing themselves with the mundane or the worldly uh, things or amusements. There's the mindless. Then there's the manipulated. Those passing by their crucifixion of Jesus were obviously a part of the mass of people that were earlier chanting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Rather than investigating what Jesus taught or thinking for themselves, they were easily manipulated by the religious opponents of Christ. The Antichrist frenzy spread and they were easily swayed to mock and taunt the Son of God. The same happens so often on the streets of our cities. Young minds that lack discernment and reasoning skills are manipulated into anti-Christian lawbreakers. Multitudes swear by what they hear on television from the media gurus or what they read in so-called scholarly journals when they criticize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their minds lock on to some philosophy of life that stands against the gospel. And so they are at the forefront of mocking Christ and his good news of salvation through his death and resurrection. There's the mindless, there's the manipulated, and then there's the calculated. Most adamant in opposition to Christ are the calculated opponents who refuse to believe. They're typified in the religious leaders here in verses 41 through 43, who will even use Scripture to oppose the gospel. These are the ones, the so-called scholars who deny the virgin birth, deny the deity of Christ, deny the miracles, deny the resurrection, and do it by their own creative interpretation of the scripture. They offer convincing arguments for some who do not know the word of God. Many even call themselves Christians while denying the very heart of the Christian message. But rather, whether mindless or manipulated, or calculated in opposition, Jesus Christ's death is sufficient to save even them. And His mercy is wide enough to sweep them up. The early American missionary, Adoniram Judson, scoffed at the gospel, having been manipulated into opposing Christianity while he was a student in college. And after sowing seas of rebellion as an actor in New York, he flopped financially and he was forced to make his way home, and on the way home, he stayed in an inn. He arrived rather late at night, and the man next to him groaned and screamed through the night so much that Judson could hardly sleep. He found out the next morning that the man had died in great agony during the night. And when he asked the man's name, he was stunned to learn that it was Jacob Eames, the very person that had manipula- manipulated Judson to oppose the gospel. Judson began the process of really investigating the teaching of the scripture. And in the next year, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the merciful arms of Christ opened wide to this scoffer, this mocker, and he was saved and greatly used of the Lord. And that brings us to the one mocked. What do you notice about the one that was mocked by these mindless, manipulated, and calculating opponents? Well, I notice here that he quietly receives the mocking. Just as Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier, Jesus quietly received the mocking. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The thieves at his sides cursed and moaned and complained, but Jesus quietly bore the mockery of the very people that he came to save. That is the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then also I see that he graciously submits to the cross. He must have struggled under the weight of that cross due to the emotional and physical strain. So Simon of Cyrene was pressed into service and bearing the beam to Golgotha and he that holds the universe together felt the depths of weakness physically and emotionally and spiritually. He did not run from the cross. He did not listen to the taunts of his opponents that told him to come down from the cross that the, so they might believe. Jesus Christ submitted to all that the Father required so that he might be just and the one that justifies sinners. Mocked. Taunted, dishonored, ultimately crucified for you and me. Jesus Christ did it all so that we might live a great hope of eternal relationship to a living God. Some want to bypass the cross and bypass the God-man Jesus Christ in attempts to save their lives. Some think that surely God has a more polite way to give us eternal life. But listen... You just read the gospels. See how they reveal Jesus Christ, and each one aims for the cross and the resurrection. And there you'll find that there's the only Savior for sinners, even the Savior for mockers, by His great mercy and grace. Thank God for His His love for you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven.